Well, good morning, everybody. This is Tyler Kralichak coming to you with the Burley Brew Podcast. I am the Agri Natural Resources Agent, and I'm sitting down with Jana Block, the Extension Livestock System Specialist. She's located at the Hedinger REC. Welcome, Jana. Thanks for inviting me today. So today we're going to talk a little bit about a problem that can be selective depending on the year and, and certain conditions. But uh, if you've ever heard of, uh, of an issue called nitrate poisoning, Jana is one person who's a great resource to, uh, to tell us about it. So I guess, Jana, without further ado, what, uh, why is the big uh, concern about nitrates? You've heard about nitrates, you're associating that with drought. And, and to a point, that's definitely true. So, um, however, it can exist in a lot of other conditions. So I guess let's just start with a little bit of what nitrate is. It's very prevalent in our soils, and it's basically a form of nitrogen that plants utilize to produce proteins, which are photosynthesized and used for growth, right? So under, I mean, nitrates are very well utilized within the plant, and they're necessary, but under certain conditions, we can get excess concentrations of nitrate in the plant and they're not converted. The plant metabolism may be slow, slowing down for certain conditions, such as drought, which then leads to accumulation of those nitrates and excess levels in the plant, which can lead to toxicity in livestock. Okay. So you talked about it being a drought. Is that the only time that you can have nitrate issues in uh, a forage? No. So we definitely have to think about what species of forage that we're looking at. Our native grasses are not a concern unless we have a really large weed load. So things like Russian thistle, kochia, knapweed, some of those are accumulators. But our small grains are accumulators, our wheat, barley, oats. Forage oats are definitely one that we would want to test year in and year out. They just, their metabolism just really tends to lead to that accumulation. Uh, sorghum and sudan grass or the hybrid can also be nitrate accumulators. And then, like I said, our weeds, and then sometimes corn, um, just depending on what on what we're doing there. A lot of times if we're looking at droughted out corn that we might be wanting to hay or ensile, if that corn is really short and immature, it can have some nitrates. You know, if we don't have grain converting that protein and utilizing that for grain production, then that can be in concern in corn as well. Sorry, Tyler, I got a little lost. You're good. So just talking about the different ones is definitely a great thing. You know, I get a lot of people who are talking about uh, incorporating cover crops. That kind of seems to be a new a new thing, especially with grazing. And you look at a year like this year where we've got drought conditions, you know, when you're bringing in different things like brassicas, turnips, that kind of stuff. I mean, are you seeing a higher incidence in those as well of nitrates? So cover crops is kind of an interesting little conundrum in terms of nitrates because when you look at the most of the species that are used as cover crops, we're thinking about our cereal grains, our summer forages like the sorghum sedan, um, and then brassicas, turnips, radishes, things like that. Uh, and then you can also, of course, have a weed presence. So some of those nitrate accumulating weeds. Um, so pretty much all of those species are potential nitrate accumulators, which means that we can have a toxicity issue. However, we don't tend to see as many cases of nitrate toxicity as you might expect when we are grazing cover crops. We can have levels where we would be a concern, where we could potentially have a concern, and we may or may not have animal performance issues related to that. And so I personally haven't done any of this research, but there's some research out of Nebraska. Mary Janowski has kind of looked at this issue 
And so her hypothesis, her working hypothesis is that possibly due to the higher moisture content of the cover crops, maybe helps kind of dilute out the nitrate concentration a little bit. Typically, cattle are also going to have access to dry forages, usually when grazing cover crops. And so again, those concentrations might be diluted down a little bit. They're having access to non-nitrate containing forages. And then the other thing is the high energy content of cover crops. We know that providing additional energy to the microbes can help kind of speed up that transition from nitrate to amino acids in the rumen. And so there's some speculation that just the high energy content of the cover crops can actually assist with that metabolism of those nitrates and and kind of avoid that toxicity situation. So it's still a really good idea to get things tested and know where you're at. Um, and then the other side of that coin is obviously just keeping a really close eye on the livestock and, and making sure you're not having issues. But it's definitely kind of an interesting situation with the cover crops. Sure. So you talk about some symptoms that uh, cattle might exhibit or livestock in general. What are some things that we're looking for? So there's either a chronic case of nitrate toxicity or there's an acute case. And so unfortunately, most of the time, if you're in an acute situation, a lot of times you won't see any symptoms. You'll just find a dead animal. The chronic case is when you've got maybe just a little bit higher than desired level of nitrate in the diet, and they're somewhat adapted to it, but you can still have some animal performance issue. And so you might see things like they, they might be off feed a little bit. There is supposedly there's a taste associated with nitrates, higher levels of those that can maybe cause animals to kind of go off feed a little bit. So obviously related to that, you would see possibly some weight loss issues. Uh, a lot of times our first sign is abortions, unfortunately, and that can be at many different stages of gestation. You know, whether you're in a grazing situation, it would be early in gestation, or if we're talking about winter feeding situations that can occur then. So it's, it's not really any specific time point. It's just when that system gets overloaded, definitely can cause abortion. The acute case you would see basically what happens is nitrate takes away the ability of blood to carry oxygen to the tissues. And so the animal effectively suffocates. So you'd see things related to suffocation. So labored breathing, tremors, they might be staggering around. The membranes um, around the eyes, nose, on the udder, those will turn blue a lot of times. Again, we're just taking out that blood's not carrying oxygen anymore. So those are some things that you might see. And uh, yeah, uh, other than that, you might just observe some dead animals and hopefully that's not the situation that you're looking at. Absolutely. That's not a good thing. So I guess... You talked about the plant side of things. I mean, can we find them in other spots too? Like water, is it possible to get, you know, nitrate issues in water? Yeah, you can have nitrates in water. And the unfortunate thing about nitrates in water is that unlike in plants where the nitrates are metabolized, the nitrates in water are very readily available. And so we are not looking at very high levels in order to add to a, a really toxic situation. And we do have those guidelines in our NDSU extension nitrate toxicity publication. But, you know, a lot of times with our shallower wells or things like that, or, or looking at where the wells might be in relation to certain runoffs or, or near feedlots or farming, where you might think about those things just kind of flowing through the groundwater a little bit more. Those are, those are things to be aware of. And so after a precipitation event is a really good time to test your wells and the nitrates are reported as part of any livestock water quality 
kind of analysis. So kind of just a, one of the components that's reported in that analysis. Okay. So if by chance you think you've got it and you're like, okay, I can handle this on my own. I can do my own treatment, you know, say a, a methylene blue, is that a, a good route to go by chance or not? So that is a treatment that used to be administered by veterinarians and there's sort of mixed opinions out there about whether that's even actually available anymore. So it may or may not be available through a veterinarian. The dosage is recommended to be intravenous or IV. And so that can be really difficult, especially with an animal that's down. It would definitely be a situation where you'd need to call your vet and get that taken care of. And again, that that's very time dependent. And so the likelihood of being able to actually administer treatment would be probably pretty slim. So in terms of treatment, I mean, is it just moving them to a different uh, forage source or, you know, if it's in your water, you think it is, I I guess, what do we do to kind of prevent this from happening or, you know, what, what treatment methods do we have available? So there's really not a lot of treatment options. It's mostly about, you know, adapting the animals slowly to your nitrate containing feedstuffs. The rumen microbes will produce an enzyme that helps them metabolize nitrate. And so over time, those bacteria will, when there's nitrate in the diet, those bacteria will do produce more of the enzyme, which will help them deal with that nitrate. But the minute that you take nitrate out of the diet, the bacteria stop producing that enzyme. And so doing kind of this seesaw ration where you might be feeding high nitrate forage one day and then not feeding it the next day is actually not the best idea. If we're able to utilize the nitrate containing forages, meaning that the level is low enough that we can mix that off with a safe forage, you're going to want to kind of make that a consistent diet, whether you're feeding that through a TMR, or if you are feeding bales out on the ground, making sure that you're feeding the low nitrate forage first, getting them a little bit full, and then coming back and immediately feeding the high nitrate forage on top of that. Those are just some things. It's kind of more of feeding management. Also feeding a little bit, a couple pounds of grain can help with converting the nitrate in the rumen. Again, just providing some additional energy for those bacteria can help them metabolize the nitrate. So livestock management, there's also things on the forage side that we can do. Most of the nitrates accumulate at the bottom of the plant. So raising your cutter bar can help a little bit. Obviously in a drought situation, that's challenging if you don't have much to cut anyway. Um, You don't really want to go up too high. So give or take on that one. If you are doing any fertilizer application, we recommend a split application of nitrogen so that it's not all available at one time point, just giving that plant a little bit more time to metabolize that. Thinking about cutting forage or even grazing, trying not to do that in the morning. So nitrates will not be metabolized overnight because photosynthesis is not occurring. So the levels are definitely going to be highest in the morning. And so if you're thinking about turning out into a field or like I mentioned cutting forage, it's going to be best to do that in the afternoon when those levels would be lowest. And of course, all of that's combined with some good sampling and understanding what those levels might be. So you talked about avoiding cutting in the morning. So if by chance you do end up messing up, so to speak, and you you cut some some hay that has some nitrates that are closer to the stem, I mean, do they dissipate or are they locked into that hay forever until it gets consumed? That's a very good question. And that's one that there's a lot of different opinions about. We often hear from producers that have kept over high nitrate forage from one year to the next, assuming that that's kind of going to dissipate out over time. And our research says that doesn't actually happen. So 
I guess thinking about how nitrates accumulate in the plant is kind of one way to explain this. So nitrates are taken up by the roots and they're then converted, like I mentioned before, to protein in the plant. And that occurs through photosynthesis. And so in order for photosynthesis to happen, we have to have adequate sunlight, we have to have ideal temperatures, and we have to have water. And so when that plant is harvested, what happens to photosynthesis? It stops, right? So that nitrate is not going to be converted to protein in the plant because there's no photosynthesis occurring. So whatever nitrate is there at harvest is pretty much going to be there while that harvest is in storage. There is with heavy, heavy, heavy rainfall, you may lose a little bit of nitrate in the plant just through washing out, but it's, it's fairly stable. The nitrate is very stable in the plant. And so it's really not going to be one of those that gets tied up with other compounds and becomes unavailable or anything like that. Pretty much what you have at, at cutting is what you're going to have to deal with. Okay. So say, for example, you cut it or you got to turn cows out, but you're a little bit leery on what are my levels? How, uh, how do we get that stuff tested? Or what, what are our options to make sure that we're, we are safe? There's a couple of different options for testing. Uh, we do have the nitrate quick test in North Dakota, and most of the county extension agents have access to that test. So calling your agent and asking them to conduct the quick test is, is a starting point. And that would be kind of a screening tool for, you know, prior to harvest or grazing. Basically, either the producer or the extension agent could go out to the field, basically walk kind of a, some transects, collect the stems, and then the nitrate quick test tells them whether or not nitrate is present. Does not give you an amount, but if there is nitrate in the plant, our recommendation is to then send that off to the lab and get the actual quantitative results of that sample. Uh, once you know that, we can work with you to help figure out at what level that should be incorporated into a ration, or if there's a potential for really toxic levels, we might want to think about not feeding that plant at all, which unfortunately is really bad news, but it does happen in some cases. Okay. So if you're looking at a situation where you've already harvested the crop, probably your best option is to use a, a forage probe and get 10% of your bale sampled or no less than 20 core samples so that we're representing the different areas of the field and then send that off to a lab and just get that result right away. So if I just walk over with my, you know, I want to get some samples and I just grab from the outside of the bale, is that sufficient or do I need to actually go rent the right equipment and make sure that I actually stab into the bale and, you know, collect a good core? Yeah, the grab sample is not going to be sufficient. Nitrate concentrations can vary significantly within a field just based on soil types, just the topography in the field, possibly different species, things like that. All of those factors can really cause a lot of variability. So the forage probe is going to do the best job of representing all the components of the bale, but in particular the nitrates, because we want to know what we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis with that ration. You know, for somebody who's concerned about nitrates, I mean, are we looking mainly in the springtime or is it traditionally kind of late summer, fall? So nitrates will usually be highest earlier in the plant growth cycle. And so as those plants start to mature, typically we'd be looking at a lower risk for some of that. But when we think about the ideal time of harvesting forage, typically it's you know, those plants, we want them at a fairly early growth stage to maximize quality. It just depends on whether you're going for quality or quantity with your yeah. forage management. So there's might be a little bit of trade off there. But um, with most of these species, it can definitely be a concern, you know, into the haying season. And then with grazing, 
again, it's going to be just really dependent on, on what the growing conditions are. You know, like I said, we mostly associate nitrates with drought. So just depending on how severe this thing is, how long it lasts, what our forage conditions are, this could definitely be something that we're dealing with all summer. If those plants aren't metabolizing like they normally would throughout the growing season, it could be a consistent risk. And so it's definitely something to be thinking about this year. One question that uh, has come up, I mean, you talk about drought, you talk about, uh, you know, when you're putting different types of nitrogen applications or fertilization down. What about frost? Because I've heard that we can have issues when frost happens as well. Yeah. So frost basically would disrupt photosynthesis. It's going to reduce the leaf area a little bit, which would then just reduce that rate of photosynthesis. So that's actually a really good question because I guess in, in terms of thinking about when nitrate occurs, it's any time that photosynthesis might get disrupted. So other things that could potentially lead to this condition are things like hail or disease, or actually if we have cool and cloudy conditions rather than dry and hot conditions, that can actually lead to accumulation of nitrates just because we don't have that sun that's, you know, or, or maybe the temperatures that are leading to that ideal photosynthesis situation. So those are all things that can potentially cause nitrates that we don't maybe think about all that much. Sure. Well, Jana, that's uh, I get all I have for questions. It's been a, a great discussion. Is there anything else that uh, you want to add? No, I guess I'd just recommend that people get a hold of their extension agent and, and get their forages tested. Many times we hear, I've never had a problem with that before. And I understand that, but that doesn't mean that you won't have a problem with it going forward. So especially with those summer annuals and, and our uh, cereal grains, it's just a good idea to get it tested. I guess peace of mind can be purchased for around 10 bucks. So I think that's a pretty <laughs> worthwhile investment in my mind. Sure. Well, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate uh, everything you could share about nitrates. Yeah, you bet. Thank you.